Hello there. This is Robert Carter, and this is Robcast C19. Just an idea that I came up with uh, through the course of several months for thinking about some things. And so, what I want to talk about, obviously, uh, is COVID C19. That's the reason I call it Robcast C19 because it's a COVID. Uh, related incidents and things that happen to people when they're on COVID uh, from head to toe, physical, mental, spiritual, and socially. Um, this podcast is really, it's, it's not about, hey, you should wear your mask or you shouldn't wear your mask or you can't wear your mask in this place or, or the government is releasing these chemicals all across the United States to keep the people sick or blah, 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 although there's some validity to some things of control and all that stuff. This is not that kind of a podcast. It's not a gripe session. What this podcast is about is people. So what I want to do and what is in my heart to do is share an experience with you. Um, in my case, it's very dramatic. And I would really love to have your input because I, my whole life, everything I love, everybody I love, everything changed for me. Um, to start with, I'll tell you a little bit just to share and so you'll understand what's going on in May of 2021 I went with my couple of my buddies and we went and played golf and it was great and I had my golf I have a gray golf shirt that I really love we played this this golf game and I believe that was the first time I ever got a par um, just my second year of golfing anyway don't judge me it was fun. I loved the game. I just really liked playing the game. So anyway, I did that with my buddies. And then I came home and everything was just fine. And um, I don't remember anything after that point, except I went to work. I know I went to work and it was three days later. I had worked for... It was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I came in on a Friday to work overtime, and I was teaching a class on my job, something I do in my job, and these guys were sick in my class, and I remember looking at this guy, and his eyes were all bloodshot, he was just, continually had his face in his elbow, you know, coughing and sneezing, and I'm like, man, this guy is sick. But it was close to the end of the day, so we just finished out the day, and I went home, and I was so excited for the weekend. By the time I got home, uh, which was an hour, 20-minute drive for me, I started coughing and hacking and blah, blah, blah. Well, the next morning, I I didn't even want to get up, man. I was so weak and I couldn't understand it and couldn't feel anything. And then the next thing I remember anyway is that my wife's like, she had a, a oximeter and she's like, here, we're checking your oxygen. And my oxygen was 82. And she's like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, boy, I don't freak out. I'm just going to go to sleep. Just don't worry about it. And I slept for another day I rem- that I remember. 
I'm saying that because, yes, I did forget a lot of stuff. Anyway, um, next day, my oxygen was 79 and 80 and 79 and 83. And I took some deep breaths and I couldn't get it above 84. And she's like, we, and we were sick. She was sick. I was sick. So she called uh, Walgreens and asked them to do a drive up test because they were free and stuff. And then she woke me up. I remember that. I remember actually driving my car to Walgreens and we went up to the drive up, got the test, took the test, you know, and did all the sanitizer type things and gave it back to them. And so she wanted the test too. And they said, well, you had to make an appointment one at a time. So she didn't get her test until the next day. And two hours later, they said, you have COVID. You've been diagnosed with COVID. The next day, my wife got hers two hours later. You've been diagnosed with COVID. Sicker than a dog. And then I remember my wife waking me up the following day. And she said, you know what? You got to go to the hospital. Your oxygen has not been above 85 for three days. Now, if you understand it, what I'm saying, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you waited that long. So we take off. We go to the hospital. I drove to the hospital, but I don't really remember driving to the hospital. My wife said I did. We get in there, and this is what I remember. The doctor... I don't think he shook me, but he, somehow I, I wasn't really coherent, very coherent, but he did come in. He said, hey, listen, I have some good news and some bad news. So I'm like, okay. He said, the good news is you're in a hospital. And the bad news is you're not going home. said the bad news was that I wasn't going home and I'm like okay the next thing I remember I remember hearing some kind of motor like an airplane or a helicopter or something noise and then um, that's all I remember the next day I woke up and I had a full beard And I didn't just wake up. They woke me up because I'd been in a coma for 22 days. Now, waking up with a full beard and a mask on your face and tubes sticking down your nose wasn't my kind of thing. I'm sure some of you may be able to handle that, but stuff on my face does not happen. And I freaked and I jerked, started pulling things off my face and blah, blah, blah. And they hurriedly came back over there and they took their little fentanyl and they just stink and shot me up and knocked me out again. I don't know how long or the time stamp between then and when I came back, when they woke me up again, but they knocked me out. Um, and I believe it was like 10 days, so, but I'm not sure to be honest. I could get the 
record, but you get the idea. The thing is, one thing I didn't know is when you're in a coma, you can dream, or at least I did. Now, I've heard from people here and there, and this is what I really, this is where my heart is here. I really want to find out who had this, who had these these struggles in their life, and, and if you could um, message me or, or tell me your story somehow, um, I'll give you my information here in a minute, but I really want to know what people went through, because when I was put in the coma, um, again, I, I think it was the air, an airplane, that they life-flighted me to another hospital because they had life support. They put me on life support. They put me on that ventilator, all that stuff. They're breathing for me, trying to get my oxygen to come up, and it wasn't working, and so they induced that coma and breathed for me for 22 days. So during that time, I had very love. Excuse me. I had friends that I loved that went on a ventilator at the same time. But they didn't make it. They died on the ventilator. Excuse me, sorry. Obviously it's emotional to me because the doctors told my wife that I was the sickest man in the hospital. They probably should be getting ready. She should be getting all the arrangements done for when I passed away, for when I died. Because there was a 1% chance, a 1% chance that I was coming back. This is the information they were giving her. This is what I was going through. I heard the engine of the airplane. And I turned around and I was in a pickup truck with my wife and my son. And we were driving across one of my favorite states, Montana. Now, just for your information... This wasn't real. This is where I went in and started dreaming about life. Things in life. I, I, I don't know how to explain it except just to tell you the story. So I'm going to tell you a little bit. So that's just it. We were in my son's pickup truck because he loves his truck. And we were traveling to go see my wife's brother, Mike, and... Um, there's this favorite place that we'd like to stop where both highways met. And on the corner, there was a gas station. And inside that gas station, they had mulberry jam and um, blueberry honey, all these little knick-knack things in there and stuff. And we'd always buy the jelly or jam and the honey and, you know, and that kind of thing. So we stopped to get fuel. We jumped out. When we got there, excuse me, we jumped out of the truck. And um, there's these two kids, young adults. I call them kids, obviously, because I'm 58 years old. So anybody that's in their 40s or less are kids to me. But they were young adult, young men. My son, he was in his 20s, and these boys were in their 20s. And then their father was there, and he was a hillbilly, a skinny old hillbilly, toothless, 
Well, I think he had one tooth. I'm not stereotyping. Please, please just listen to this. I'm not stereotyping him. That's what I saw in my dream was this guy. And he's like, how y'all doing? And I'm like, well, we're doing okay. We're fine. We're heading off to on vacation. He's like, oh, well, we're going to take over the government. And me and my sons, we're going to take everybody out. And he goes on about his his plan to take over the government, to kill all the politicians, to completely take over. And his sons were getting so uh, intense. They were walking around, pacing back and forth, drinking. And they had this moonshine that they were chugging on. And they had their guns on their hips. And they were actually, one of them shot his gun up in the air. And they were just going to take over. And when that kid shot his gun, my son, Will, turned around and looked at him because he loves guns. He likes guns. And he saw him shoot his gun. And, they, and that kid looked at my son and he's like, you guys, we're taking over. We're taking over the government because we're going to do it by force. That We've had enough. And then my son, I could tell that he was getting really interested in what these kids were saying. And then my radar is going, bee-boo, bee-boo. This is crazy. These people are crazy. I don't want my son to get hooked up with these people and start ki- killing people. So I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, honey, get in the truck. William, get in the truck. We gotta go, we gotta go. We gotta go. So we scurry, we jump in the truck and just take off and get the heck out of there. All right, so we're traveling. And we come up to this um, ranger station. And my wife's brother was there. He doesn't work at a ranger station in real life. He was just somehow related because he's been in um, that kind of work before. uh, Police work and stuff like that. Anyway, he was there. And we pull up there and we start talking. And we jump out. Man, it was so good to see him. Um... Because I love my brother-in-law. We go fishing. We do all our stuff together. And my son does too. So I turn around. And my son, Will, was not in the truck. And he didn't come with us. He stayed with that hillbilly and his boys. Well, that was heartbreaking to me. Then, while while me and my wife are talking to my brother-in-law, Mike, a bullet come, I mean, ricocheted right past us. You know, I don't know how you do the sound effects, but but there's somebody was shooting at us. So we were hiding hiding by the side of the truck and look up there, and there's that stinking hillbilly and his boys. And they're like, you need to surrender. I'm taking over this station right here. This is going to be our base. And you need to do it or we're going to kill you. Well, another bullet. Well, my son is standing there with his two boys. And my son's got his gun. And the boys have got their guns. Well, they're shooting at us. So my brother-in-law, he had his gun too. But he loved William so much that he tried to talk him out. He's like, William, don't do this. You can't do this, man. We can work this out. This isn't the way to do it. Come on. Just just put the gun down. Well, 
while he was talking, one of the other boys shot at him and barely missed him. So he pulled his, he brought up his gun and then William brought his gun up too, out of instinct, I guess. And so my brother-in-law, he put, he shot William. He shot my son, but he didn't put him down. He didn't kill him. He just hit him to where he, in the leg and knocked him down because he didn't want to kill his nephew, you know. But the other two boys, they opened fire, man. And my brother-in-law, they had no chance. He, boom, shot them both, one shot each, and they were both dead. Then the hillbilly uh, got really excited and and, and it takes off. Well, at this point, my son's down. These people are shooting at us. You know, what the heck's going on? The whole world just changed for me. But the other thing was, was that I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I'm stressing out, anxiety, and all of a sudden, I never got shot, but I thought I passed out. But when I woke up, this is still in my dream, mind you. I woke up, and I was sitting on top of a building in Afghanistan. I have never been to Afghanistan. I've never been in the military. There were people, Afghanis everywhere, and Al-Qaeda was there, and it was very obvious that I was a prisoner in that place. So, this is just a teaser, if you will, but or whatever you want to call it, but this stuff was really happening in my head while I was in a coma. So I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record this. I'm going to tell people. And I want to see what people think because this is very outlandish. I mean, I couldn't have made this stuff up. Obviously, I was in my mind. Something was going on in my head. Give it what you may. But I was being attacked. Everybody I loved was being hurt. And then all of a sudden, I ended up in stinking Afghanistan on a roof with Al-Qaeda. A lot of things happened after that. But we're going to leave it right there. I'm just going to let it sit for a minute. And what I'm going to do, because this is my first broadcast, C-19, I'm going to um, give you my email, okay? This is my email. It is X-X-R-O-B-B-E-R-T-X-X at iCloud, I-C-L-O-U-D dot com. That is my personal email. This isn't uh, for money or for show or for anything. I just really like to hear from people that have gone through stuff like this. And I want to tell this story, but this story takes three to four hours. Okay, this is 22 days in a dream, in a coma of the most outlandish most spiritual, evil, dark, and painful things I've ever gone through. And all I can say, yes, I'm emotional, because it's happened, it's fresh in my head, all I can say is, I feel that it was like a spiritual attack because 
of the things that happen in there. When I get, when you get to hearing all the other rest of the uh, stories and everything, you can concur. Okay. Just want you to know that the stuff does happen, and people do think about it. Like when they dream, and they dream about things that is in their subconscious, things they're afraid of, or things that that uh, maybe. Um, haunt them or whatever it might be but in my case I'm not afraid and in my whole dream I wasn't necessarily afraid of anything um, in my life I've always been a man I've been a tough been a man you know to me I was fearless because I mean I gave my heart to to Jesus and he's got my eternal soul so I'm not afraid the only thing I'm afraid of is actually not going to heaven and and living a whole life without God so there's my stance. There's where I am. That's me. That's that's Robert Carter. And I look forward to hearing your stories. Look forward to your emails. And please, if if this is offensive or you don't believe any of this, that's that's okay. But please don't send me hate mail. This is just for people. This is people that have gone through things. that in some time in their life they have to ask why did I have this paradigm experience like this and live because I was only 1% of the people that lived through the ventilator and the coma and so, yes, sometimes I do get emotional because it's just, I'm, I'm grateful. I am grateful to be alive. So with that, I want to say God bless you. And Godspeed. Until next time, thank you for listening. To Robcast C one nine.